You are listening to a Heartland podcast. The talk you're about to listen to took place in front of a live audience on last year's Heartland Festival. On the talk scene, Mitu Sanyal and Bodil Pedersen met in a conversation about sexual violence and what it means to be a victim of sexual violence. The two participants discuss how sexual violence have different meanings, consequences and victimizations depending on which culture you belong to. They discuss victim blaming and how we almost never distinguish between a victim in a legal or psychological sense. Because, as Sanyal and Pedersen point out, there is not only the violent act in itself. For most people, the trauma of sexual violence goes beyond the act and has great consequences for future relations and how you are perceived by other people. Polish-Indian Mitu Sanyal is an author and journalist behind several publications about sex and feminism. In 2009, she published her thesis, Volva, about the female sex in a cultural and historic perspective. She is also behind the book Rape, which explores the ignorance and prejudices that are connected to sexual violence. Danish psychologist and former associate professor Bodil Pedersen is one of Denmark's leading experts in dealing with sexual violence, trauma and gender. She's a member of several research networks that focus on sex and gender, as well as having years of experience with psychological treatment of victims of rape. The conversation is moderated by Danish editor and journalist Anna von Sperling. Welcome to this talk, What We Need to Understand About Sexual Violence. My name is Anna von Sperling and I'm a journalist at Dagblad Information, where I, for some years now, have worked on subjects like sexuality and gender. Because we speak a lot about sexual assault, rape today, but what do we actually speak about when we do? What are our misconceptions? What are our cultural biases? Where are our blind spots? Those are some of the subjects we will discuss today, and it's a big title this talk has, and don't be angry if we do not completely answer it, but if anyone can, it's my two guests today. Uh, you were shortly introduced, but I'll do it as well. Bodil Pedersen, welcome. Thank you. Uh, you have been for many years, both on a theoretical and practical level, yeah. work with sexual uh, violence and the trauma. Also, uh, uh, the presenter mentioned uh, Roskilde University, but you also worked on Rieshospitalet, uh, that now is called Center for Sexual Assault. Yes. Welcome. And welcome for you to you, Mitu Sanyal, historian and journalist based in Düsseldorf. And amongst other, the author of this very splendid book, it came out in Danish. <laughs> <laughs> it came out in Danish last year with the title Voltect Aspecta af Infopolse. Please go grab it afterwards. <laughs> Bodil, I would like to start with you because you told me that you stressed to the organizers here that this talk should contain uh, the concept of sexual violence, not rape. What is wrong with the concept of rape? Well, actually, I even call it sexualized violence. Sexualized. Because, well, what's wrong with the concept of rape is that it's a very... Uh, broad concept that is used a lot in the media and we get certain ideas from media, text, whatever, about what rape is. And then what happens is that it's very rarely like it's represented. So when I had clients, they very often said, I saw it on TV, but this is nothing like it. Mm. And the reason I called it sexualized, that's because many of the women said it has nothing to do with sexuality. It doesn't have anything to do with my sexuality. It might have to do with a man's sexuality, I don't know, but it, not with mine. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. But me too, your book is actually called Rape. Yes. It's of a crime. Does it mean that you disagree? Or do you think rape is a, is a, uh, a concept we can use? 
It's, it's one of the titles where we, we thought about it again and again. We tried loads of different titles. What you ever wanted to know about sexual violence and never dared to ask. And um, mm. then my publisher said, we can't do that, we'll be sued. And um, we, in the end, we agreed on rape because this is what the book is about. And mm. I don't like trigger warnings, but I do like to be fair in the title. I do like people to know this is what you're going to expect. But the problem with rape is that the etymological root of rape means theft. The Germanic, it's a Germanic root meaning taking away. And the idea is something is taking away from you and then you've lost something. And that is really nasty as a concept. Somebody does something to you and then you are less yourself. And that's why I've got a problem with the word rape. Absolutely. <laughs> You have, in your book, you, uh, you cover rape in from many cultural, historical aspects. But, but one thing that you uh, keep getting back to is also how our concept today of rape is rooted long back in our culture. Someone said, I don't remember with you, that every time the R word is said, you're just straight back to 1955 and staying there. What do you mean about what's well, well, yeah, that was more about, um, we go back to gender roles yeah. uh, rooted in 1955, it's like the Cold War of the sexes. Because um, in no other area of life you talk about men always being the aggressors, always being active, women always being passive, men always wanting sex, always wanting to penetrate everyone who isn't up a tree at the count of three, mm -hmm. basically. And women have to be wooed by chocolate and champagne, and then if all goes well, they open the doors to mushy country. And you think, wait, if you talk about the job place, the, any other aspect, we wouldn't agree, but when we talk about rape, everybody says, yes, this is the way men and women are. Mm. And what I kind of set out to explore was that when I started to become a feminist, um, one of the things I learned was feminism meant everything I learned about being a woman was wrong. Girls can't do mass. No, of course girls can do mass and, and all that. And so um, when I wrote the book in uh, 2016, a uh, university in, um, high, uh, in Tel Aviv, they found out that even the idea of a male and female brain is a myth. Mm. It seems we all have human brains. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> and so it would be very surprising if the real, if the last gender difference mm. would be a tendency to rape on the one hand and a tendency to be raped on the other. And yeah. I didn't want to believe that. And then you couldn't change anything mm. either. Mm. Let's uh, start with a small clip because I don't know, but uh, the concept here is that uh, every guest has chosen some clips and let's take the first one. It's clip number one. Hey, your worship, I'm only trying to help. Would you please stop calling me that? Sure, Leia. Oh, you make it so difficult sometimes. I do, I really do. You can be a little nicer, though. Come on, admit it, sometimes you think I'm all right. Occasionally, maybe, when you aren't acting like a scoundrel. Scoundrel? I like the sound of that. Stop that. Stop what? Stop that. My hands are dirty. My hands are dirty too. What are you afraid of? Afraid? You're trembling. I'm not trembling. You like me because I'm a scoundrel. There aren't enough scoundrels in your life. I happen to like nice men. Nice men. Isolated the reverse power flux coupling. It was from Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a big hand. It could have been <laughs> any Harrison Ford film. Yeah. Why did you choose this clip? I chose that clip because um, we are told, oh, no means no. And I always thought, well, that's obvious. Obviously, no means no. And um, no no use to mean I'm a woman, because you were told that if you wanted something, if you wanted sex especially, you had to say no, else he would think you were too keen on it. So if you wanted a job uh, and said, no, I don't want the job, or you, if you didn't turn up at the, at, the in, at the job interview, you wouldn't get the job. But if you read any kind of manual for, for love, uh, so to speak, um, dating manual, they will tell you, it's a three-day rule, you all know that. If you meet a man in a, in a club and he he gets you to give um, him 
his, his telephone number, and then he calls you, have got to wait for three days, mm. else he will think you would want to have sex with him, even if you want to have sex with him. So he can only want sex with you if you don't want it, so to speak. And these are all our cultural um, messages, and we get them everywhere. And then we're surprised, oh, why don't young boys understand, or young men understand a no? Why can't young women say no? Because we've been taught to do the complete opposite. And I find that incredibly unfair. And so one of the things I advocate for is to teach people consent and to teach people um, really to find out about their own feelings. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I think this is very interesting because when I started my project, I did a project on uh, on women who have experienced uh, sexual violence or sexual coercion in some way, um, and I work with them in therapy and things. And when I started my project, I thought, one of the things that I have to be aware of is this might mean something completely different today than it meant when I was a young woman. And if you look at this clip here, you would never have seen that kind of um, sort of direct approach or sort of... Um, direct insinuation of violence, in a sense, than you do uh, now, it would have been much more hidden. Mm. So I think it really, what sexualized coercion or sexualized violence means to a person and means in our society is, is deeply historical and changes all the time. So we have to look at that change and what it means now and what it meant then. Mm. The historian Joanna Burke, she has actually called rape a form of social performance that is very linked to its historical, economical, and social yeah. and cultural context. It sounds like you agree. Can you tell a little bit about that? Um, I'm not quite sure what you're asking. No, no this kind of I linkage. Could it, if you like, because I absolutely agree that, the, that in my lifetime, the rape laws in Germany, I live in Germany, have, ch have changed three times. So, mm. And I always thought, oh, rape means rape. And it's, it's the same in every society at every time. No, it isn't. I mean, the Latin word for rape meant, uh, was a synonym for rape and um, being unfaithful to your husband. That was the same word for it, Stuprum. When, when I was born in 1971, rape was a sexual law that guided the right kind of sexuality. It was to, to, um, to safeguard the family. And um, so um, a sexual crime would be homosexuality, uh, sex work, rape, and being unfaithful as well. Mm. And so um, and we have changed that. So now we speak about sexual self-determination. So even our ideas of what is it have changed a lot over the time. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I have a big problem because I can't hear what you're saying. It's incredibly hard to hear. Is yeah, it, can you it hear us? It is. <laughs> is it the hard. same for you as well? And is it always like that? Or can it's he... It's always like that. And it's so great to let Because I can hear what you say, but I can't hear... You cannot hear what me too is saying. So I have to translate, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but what... I think Joanna Burks is talking about, and Mitu also said now that Mitu said that even in her lifetime, it seemed like the concept of rape has changed several times. Yeah. And I was just also thinking, in a geographical sense, when we talk about rape, can we just say rape is the same all over the world? No. Well, the problem is that what we call rape or sexual violence, attempted rape, and yeah. other kinds of sexual violence, is one of the biggest health problems in the world. Yeah. We know that, uh, and it's one of the the parts of violence against women in general. Uh, but uh, in our world, it means probably completely different, something completely different than it does in Maidu in India or in South Africa. For example, in South Africa, I had a client once who came from South Africa. She had been uh, actually raped uh, in South Africa and came to Copenhagen and was sort of unsure about what to do. She came to talk to me and she found out, she said, well, this happens to everybody. Mm. Uh, and that means that it has a completely different meaning to her. And she was, what was her big problem, and actually with this many women's problem, is that she was assaulted and she was, had feared for her life. Uh, and that was what she was trying to deal with, and not the rape as such. Or the stigma. And that, I think, in my generation was very different. And also, people didn't talk about it. Now you might tell somebody else, you don't always, but it's much easier to talk about. And I think from the time I did my research to now, which is only 10 years or something like that, it has changed also because now we're talking about it. We're sitting here. 
which mm. we weren't Absolutely. at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I was writing my book, no publisher wanted to touch it because they said nobody will want to read a book about rape. And suddenly we said, oh, this is a really hip subject. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's we are at a festival now. Yeah, yeah. But what I would like to add is that um, also um, who is supposed to be rapeable, the rapeable subject has grown a lot because a long time it was virgins and, um, well, married women if they were not married to you and then they changed the law that you could um, rape your wife but they also changed the law that now you can rape men as well or, or women could be rapists and it used to be incredibly gendered only you needed a penis to penetrate a woman you were not married to that was the definition in Germany up until 1997 um, quite recently mm. and so only women could be raped, only men could rape. And, and so we've got really difficulties to grapple with the subject. I mean, uh, male victims of rape are even harder for us to deal with, and we, we have loads of difficulties with female victims of rape. And, and that trans people, that is the other thing, um, run a much higher risk of, of being sexually assaulted in any kind of way, starting at birth when they, when they get surgery that they haven't asked for. And we don't talk about that at all. If you think about rape victims, it's always the young, mainly blonde girl we're thinking of. So, we, and, and for a long time, black women or colonialized women couldn't be raped because they didn't have an honor. They always wanted sex. So we, by, defin by definition, we couldn't be raped at mm. all. Mm. And that has changed as well, mm. luckily. luckily. We'll get back to, uh, to the concept of the victim, but... Uh, but I think, oh, yes, because I think there's something very interesting here, also this concept of victim, which has something to do with, um, from a psychological perspective, is something completely different than from a legal perspective. Absolutely. Mm. So, if we go back... Yeah, to fine. and we'll, we'll get... Uh, yeah. Exactly, that was my point. Yeah. You gave me my cue. <laughs> uh, why don't we see clip number two? That's... <laughs> Jeg tror, jeg tror i virkeligheden, at det mest skamfulde måske var netop, at, at noget, som jeg ikke selv ville, skete alligevel. Jeg anmeldte mig ikke, fordi jeg var så meget i tvivl i forvejen om, hvad der var op og ned, og hvem det der første, havde gjort noget, det var, hvem der ikke havde at fået jeg kunne ikke, øhm. jeg kunne ikke anmelde det, fordi der var ikke nogen, der ville tro på det. Jamen, jeg tror bare, vi, vi skammer så meget over, at vi, vi har været så dumme at, 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 gå, at gå med dem op. Altså, at det ligesom... Ja, det siger sig selv, og folk synes, vi er meget naive. Fordi der var ikke nogen, der ville tro på det. Efter voldtægten endte jeg med at stå på en, en metrostation på Amager og... Så lige pludselig stod jeg ved siden af to fyre, og vi kiggede ikke engang på hinanden. Altså, der var ingen kontakt. Og alligevel så kan jeg bare mærke, at mit hjerte der bare hamrede løs. Altså, fordi min krop var bange for mænd. Jeg ved, at jeg er undtagelsen. Jeg ved, at de fleste ikke få anmeldt deres overfald eller voldtægt. Det er de første, der er så heldige, at, at der findes en overfaldsmand. Jeg kan pege på en mand i dag og sige, det var dig, der gjorde det ved mig. Det var ikke alle de andre. Det var dig, der gjorde det. This, yeah. <laughs> This was a small clip from a project that we did on Dagbladet Information in 2015, mm. where we uh, asked our readers to tell their story. And this was pictures of the women that, uh, that was portrayed, but also from the crime scenes. Why did you ask to show this clip? Well, one of, when I started on my project, um, I was also influenced, of course, by the main discourses saying that rape is something that's very definite and uh, people have uh, the same reaction. It means the same to them. It is something that we know what is. And very quickly, I found out that it means something completely different to all different women. I usually say this is something that's situated. It means what it means to you has something to do with the context it happens in, but it's also personal. So it has something to do with the, your background and the way you understand what happens. So 
therefore, people have completely different perspectives. And, and what I did was I asked these young women, instead of asking them, tell me about the rape, which is a typical way in psychology to talk about what we call trauma, I asked them, what would you like to talk about now? I talked to 40 women, 39 of these women said, I want to talk about who to talk about with this problem, because I don't know who, how to deal with it, and it doesn't look like it does on TV. Mm. So, and they had, it turned out that it was something very social for them, but also something very personal. Mm. You said that it, they could be many different kind of reactions. Yeah. Can you tell a little bit about what? What is really surprising, uh, at least to me, and which was to many other people, is that the context and the way the experience uh, was doesn't mean uh, that it's more or less. You can't tell from the experience whether it's something that will be very difficult to live with or not. Because actually, very often, it's not the experience as such, but the context and what happens afterwards. So what happened to many of these women were that they were treated as uh, passive agents, they were not believed, uh, they were accused by friends of telling stories or whatever. And of course, these women had many problems with it. Some, one woman was even raped for having told this to a friend who told it to someone else. So, and, but then, for example, one woman who was not raped in the sense that would ever be uh, stand up in court, she was actually one of the women who had most problems and for many reasons that had to do with her school, her friends, and so on. So you can't tell from the occasion and what happens uh, what results it will have and what personal meanings it will have. Mm. I absolutely agree because that was one of the things I experienced. After I wrote the book, lots of people wrote to me or came to me after lectures to tell me their experiences and I thought, oh, it's because I'm such a nice person, that's why they want to talk to me. No, because there's hardly any place in society where we can talk about it and not being pushed in a, in a box immediately. Mm, so exactly. they said, um, there were so different stories. One woman was so impressive and she said, yeah, something had happened to her and she doesn't, didn't want it to define who she was. Mm. She didn't want it to be her identity. Exactly, yeah. uh, another one said that whenever she had problems in a relationship afterwards, mm. she and her then partner thought that must be the rape. Mm. So she must go to therapy and she didn't look at the actual problem it was about. And um, one man told me because all the messages in society is you as a man are a perpetrator, but he was a victim and, and it was really hard for him to heal because he could only think of himself as, vict uh, as perpetrator identified and it was so hard to deal with it. And mm. um, one man told me that he told friends and uh, girlfriends and they laughed and, and not because they were nasty, but because it was so incongruous. Yeah. And, and one woman said, oh yeah, it was awful. It was really traumatizing. But what was more traumatizing to her was when her boyfriend was unfaithful to her and yeah, she exactly. felt so guilty about that. And I thought that's, that's brilliant. You can yeah. choose in your yeah. life. Yeah. We are all human beings. We are all individual agents. And once we talk about rape, we're all supposed to be the same. Mm. Yes, because your book, one of the things that was really eye-opening for me in your book is the way you analyze this sort of cultural expectations mm. to the victim that yeah. is part of kind of a greater script on how is rape. Yeah. Some, some, of the women, some of the women I talked to had courses in psychology, <laughs> uh, like nurses or so. And some of them came to me and said, well, I don't react like they say in the books, is there something wrong with mm. me? Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So. And, and yeah, we, we expect people to be traumatized. And it's one of, the, um, one of the few crimes where the victim's got to prove by her being that something happened. So if my car gets stolen, I don't have to show it was a really nice car by crying all day. But if I don't, if I'm not traumatized enough, for example, Virginie Despont, who wrote yeah, King Kong French Theory, author, yeah. Um, French author of Besmois, and, and she was raped um, while hitchhiking. So, and she decided she still wanted to hitchhike because she didn't want to stay at home. And then people said, well, if you still go hitchhiking, then you must have wanted it. Mm. And, and, and that was so, and, and she said another sentence that was so pertinent to me, and she said, um, we learn to be raped because she said if they'd wanted to steal her jacket, she would have known how to defend herself. But because it was rape, she, all the cultural messages were you can't do anything, you can't defend yourself. When I went to school, uh, a policeman came and told us, what can you do when you get raped? Don't shout for help, shout fire was the first one. And 
don't fight back or else he will hurt you even more. Thank you, that was really money well spent. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. And I guess today there is this other aspect that if you, like you do in your book, mention that it is possible to fight against rape, then there is the it's possibility that blaming. you're victim blaming. So yeah, yeah. it is a, it's almost... Yeah, but actually in your series in the in your newspaper, there was a woman who came out and said this, and yeah. talked about self-defense, and she was accused of being victim blaming. She was. That's yeah, she right, was. Yeah, yeah. In Germany, um, there is a big study about what's the best way to prevent sexual violence, and the best way is feminist self-defense, um, which doesn't just teach you how to fight, but also teaches you how to psychologically uh, keep your borders. But it's very difficult, I think, because there was also a woman who said to me, Oh, I'm so relieved that I didn't defend myself because there are situations that are Absolutely, very different. Absolutely, there are I mean, suddenly one of the women I talked to uh, was walking home and she was going to go into her own house and then there were three guys, and this is a non-typical rape, mm. who sort of drag her into a car, take out the knife and say, now, and they all rape her and they say, if you say anything, we'll kill you. And this is the absolutely non-typical rape, and that was very easy for her to, def oh, to define as a rape. But then many of the young women I talked to, they were friends. Most, of, most people actually are friends or people, acquaintances and so on. And there it becomes a big difficulty to talk about what is this and what kind of repercussions will it have. Yeah, true. Let's just uh, take clip number three, and then we'll get back to the discussion. And how do you feel now about what happened to you, how it's affected your life and your identity, and what should happen to Roman Polanski? Well, um, as, far as, as far as how it's affected me, um, what he did did not affect me greatly. What happened with the court and the media traumatized my whole family, changed all our lives. I mean, my mother had to leave her career. It, it, was, it was one of those life-changing things that happened with the court and the media. As far as what he did, things were much different in the 70s, and I don't think I thought it was as much of a big deal as everybody else did. And what I'd like to see done is the misconduct in my case investigated so we can show that the judge lied, show that Ro Roman served his sentence and that tried to do the right thing. He apologized, he confessed, he served his time. And even in the intro, you said it was at a party. It was on a photo shoot. There's just so much misinformation, which is why I wrote my book, The Girl, um, trying to tell the truth of the story from my perspective. Um, but I would like them to investigate the misconduct, sentence him to time served, dismiss the case, you know, whatever they could do to put an end to this before I have to explain it to my granddaughter. I right. mean, I mean Sam, it's been 40 years. Right. I was a teen. Me too. This was uh, Samantha Geimer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this was Samantha Geimer, who at the age of 13 was raped by Roman Polanski. Why did you choose this clip? Oh, because I found it so incredibly impressive. And, and she was one of the reasons I wrote that book, because at that time when he was um, arrested in Zurich, and, and how, really my, my whole friend split in two, two um, uh, camps, and one said, oh, no, he's got to be sent to prison immediately, and the other said, oh, he's such a great filmmaker. And mm. I thought, well, <laughs> <laughs> I can't agree with either of those camps. And, and she has always been so incredibly differentiated. And she says, um, so it was the case, um, yeah, she was raped, and, and um, then the media really jumped on, and that's what she says. And, and I heard that a lot, that um, what happens afterwards is as important as what happens in that instance. And we, we always think, oh, the initial um, experience, the initial trauma is what we've got to concentrate on. But there have been loads of studies that if, and that's where we all come into it, and we've all got a responsibility to be helpful to someone and not to put them under more pressure. And every time he was, um, we asked them to be extradited again. The media came to her house and they wanted to do interviews with her. Oh, how did you feel when you were raped? Mm. Talk about it in the media to everyone. They talked to her sons, her, her teenage sons. Oh, your mum was raped. How does that feel to you? Great. And she was really, she was having panic attacks, not because of the rape, but because she thought she'd lose her job, she'd lose her life. And, and she actually, she left America. She went um, because she couldn't deal with that any longer. And, and we all say, oh, 
oh, you do that for the victim. No, you don't ask the victim how, what she wants. Mm -hmm. you, you think, I do what I think is best for you now because you haven't got your own voice. You're not allowed to speak. And she even went to court and asked the judge, please drop that case. It's too traumatizing for me. And the judge said, no, I'm not here to give justice to you. Yeah. I'm here to defend the people of America. Yeah. Roman Polanski won't come back and rape the people of America. No. That won't happen. Yeah. The, the young woman that I talked about before with the three men that dragged her into a car, she, um, first she went to the police and uh, a police officer uh, asked her if she had a boyfriend and she said yes. And then he said, oh, well, you were probably just in town to have fun and now you don't want to tell your boyfriend. Mm. That was one thing he did. The second thing was that it was leaked to a local paper. That happened so these often. These three guys had threatened to murder her. And it had happened just outside where they lived. So they knew where she lived. <laughs> so she was like, this was really, really difficult for her. She had to move. This happens often, actually, that people have to move. They have to find apartments, but they don't get any help from uh, the community. Whoop, now we have more noise. <laughs> but what I also see in Samantha Geimer is a woman, 60, 60 years old now, yeah. that says, but I moved on with my life. Yeah. And uh, is in a cultural context that kind of say, no, you can't. No, you've you got were to stay a victim so all your life. Yeah. And that's why, yeah. why the, these big discussions, um, is the word victim, um, is it a fair word? Because if I had had a car crash, um, I'm allowed to recover, and people won't say, oh, this is the car crash victim. Mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm in a wheelchair, maybe, but otherwise I'm allowed to have another identity. If I choose to, if I say this is uh, the informative aspect of my life, then it's fine. I mean, everybody can say, oh, no, I can't get over That is all right as well. But, but to say, no, we as a society need you. And I think, um, um, coming back to you, asked me about the etymology of the word rape. Um, it was the theft of honor. And the reason was that your honor, a, a woman's honor, defined her place in society. So if she was raped, she was expected to commit suicide because she'd lost her place in society. And then with Christianity, no, suicide was a, a mortal sin, so you were supposed to, to get ill and die on natural causes. But, or, I, but yeah. I think today... Can I just wait one second? Why is the music? It's from outside. <laughs> Good, okay, I thought it was... They don't want us to talk about rape. Right. we just talk <laughs> even louder? Yeah, now I forgot what it was. <laughs> so, and, 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 and so, in a way, um, society has still got this idea of um, if she recovers, her honor hasn't yeah. really been mm. that but, great. But I think the problem today is maybe not so much honor. The, no, no, the we problem don't talk is about the, that the any concept longer. of trauma. Yeah, but, uh, uh, trauma has like, taken the kind of the place of honor in a way. The point is that you have this idea that it is one event, and that has a specific effect and it follows you, and it's in between your years, it's not in your life. And what she talks about is how it was in her life and not necessarily between her years. So when people also get psychological help, very often you talk about it very individually and you don't talk about what it means in their daily life. So, so the approach that I had and that many of the women actually used was talk about the kind of repercussions it had in their daily life. Uh, and how they could deal with that. And the story I told you before where this uh, young woman says, well, actually, um, I was really glad that we didn't talk about the, uh, yes, we did talk about it, but we talked about it when it made sense to her and not when I thought it was a good idea. So the kind of psychological mainstream discourse and, yeah. and method has been for many years, if you have a trauma, talk about it, talk about yeah. it, talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And you say that that's not necessarily in, the way to do it. No, I think in some cases, and in many cases actually, that will sort of, um, it will make you feel as a victim, it will make you even more powerless than you already experience after an experience like that, and it will make you feel much worse. And you don't get out of it, because what happens is that you sort of have to recontextualize your idea of gender, of sexuality, of relations to other people, of how you can trust people. So there are whole kinds of things that you have to, to deal with after this. And that happens in reality, not in their head only. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And the idea of trauma is trauma is a diagnosis. So trauma is something, something, you are ill, you've got a trauma, it's inside you. No, actually, it was a crime. It happened to me from the outside. Yeah. And that is really difficult. Yeah. But one but last thing I would yeah. like to add. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're running out of time. But um, um, the idea of honor was, women's honor was between their legs, basically. Mm -hmm. 
but men also had an honor, but it was in their, um, well, it was in their job or, or on, the, on the battlefield. So a man couldn't lose his honor by being raped. He could lose his honor by being a deserter, and then he could be executed, and it was awful as well. But that's why we don't understand. So if men are raped, people say, but nothing happened. It must have been nice to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if the perpetrator is a woman. Yeah, well, that, that, that you want to fuck anyway. Mm. Isn't it lovely for you so you fuck yeah. for free, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. And but it's but really I difficult. think it's really important here, at least in Denmark, to also talk about gender in this case. Because um, in Denmark, three quarters of the rapes, sexualized violence, are done by men to women. Uh, and there's a tendency in Denmark to do what, what I called um, genderless gender, to talk about something that we all know is gendered, and we say he and she, but we talk about it as if it doesn't have to do anything with social gender, and it does. And in Denmark, there's sort of a political tendency to sort of de-gender all this, to make it gender neutral, like some of the new statistics that are presented without gender. And this is crazy. If we want to do something about this, we ha also have to talk about gender and what it has to do with gender. And then we come back to sexual roles <laughs> as well. So. <laughs> Please. It's slightly different in Germany because we still speak about um, crime, uh, rape victims are female, and, and we, we haven't even got the idea that they could be male. It's just 1997, it not, it's not that long ago. And um, so we haven't really got um, rape crisis center for men. I mean, we haven't got any crisis, rape crisis center for perpetrators, which would be important too, who say, I don't want to keep being a perpetrator, I want to change. We basically say, we don't, well, we don't want to work with perpetrators, and I know people who do work with um, um, sexual um, therapists, and, and they have got real problems because when they say uh, at a party, and so what's your job? I work with perpetrators of rape. And people really shun them and say, you can't do that. And, uh, and, but, but we need to change society. But that's obvious. I mean, we have to deal with people, Absolutely. men and women, but, but still we have to talk about gender mm. and society because if we don't change these things, mm. this is going to get on. But I would like to just talk a little bit about the background of this rape trauma symbol. Because <laughs> if we syndrome, yeah. because if we need to, as I see it, move forward, then we need to broaden the possibilities for a woman, man, who's been uh, the, uh, the subject of, of, of violence, of sexual violence, to choose their own way of dealing with this. But there was a time where maybe there was a historical necessity in installing this kind of, uh, of trauma. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, Susan Brown Miller's Against Our Will from 1975, where you had to actually say rape is there and rape matters and it ruins women's lives. Yeah, but you have to, to say change that the, uh, the, uh, uh, well, the you laws. You had to get on laws through. Basically, you had yeah. to say you've got to take this seriously. It's not locker room talk. It's not something that doesn't matter. And they. The idea that rape is the worst crime, that was always there, but the idea was it's so rare, it's like being hit by lightning. Yeah. That's real rape, it's rare. Uh, all the other crimes are just ex-girlfriends wanting to get their own back, or sex workers wanting to get their money back, or, or, or. So they said, that's not real rape. And it was so important to say, you've got to take this seriously, and you've got to move beyond the, the idea of a real rape and, and look at the real cases. And so, yeah, and the way we do that now in society is by saying, look, it has a real effect on people. Mm. But that is, on the other hand, that is a problem because then the people have to show the effect, to perform the effect, to be taken seriously. And they should be allowed, no, you don't have to be broken for it to have not been right. But that's why you have to differentiate the different types of contexts in which you use the word uh, victim, you could say. Absolutely. Because victim legally is, is a good word because you were the victim mm. of something but psychologically it's not necessarily because you don't feel that way or you don't want to be looked at it that way and so on. So I think this is uh, this question of victimizing that we might do also in psychology is also very uh, a big, big problem. And for example, this, this uh, rape trauma syndrome <laughs> concept that you use is one that comes from psychology mm. and it had the idea that everybody who has, been, has experienced this will also have great difficulties with sexuality. They don't. But today, you, at the time at least, or even now, many will still say, but that's because they sort of refuse to look at the problem that they have and they should be dealing with that and not say that they don't have a problem. Yeah. So. yeah they're just in denial. Yeah. Great. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. 
One of the most uh, common uh, phrases in uh, in the discourse uh, on, uh, on on rape or sexualized violence today is uh, no means no. How difficult can it be if we teach our women to or girls to say no and our boys to listen? Then we're all clear. I, 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 there's several, uh, I think, levels of this discussion on no means no, because we also just had a law, uh, yes means yes, a law in Sweden uh, uh, on consent. But let's just start with, in your book, you are critical towards the whole no means no. Uh, I'm, I, I'm critical. Oh, there's this brilliant film out on YouTube. I don't know whether you've, you've known it. It's, um, um, it's uh, our consent is like a cup of tea. So if somebody <laughs> says, I don't want a cup of tea, don't force them to drink the cup of tea. And I thought, what a lovely film. And then after a while I thought, yeah, but it's not the way it usually happens. It's, no. it's usually, it's a lot more, there are a lot more gray areas in between. So um, if, if they're unconscious, don't force them to drink the tea. Yes, of course, people do rape unconscious people, but it makes it so very clear. And most people who talk to me afterwards, they said, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that clear. It was a lot more complex for them. Um, no means no is important because in Germany, up until uh, two years ago, you had to fight back. So if you didn't fight back, it wasn't rape. So if you just said no, it wasn't a real rape. Um, and they changed that, and this is important because it gives a different message. So if somebody says no, you should take it seriously. But on the other hand, like we saw in the first clip, boys are taught you've got to try again and again and again because she will say no to make you keener. And if you don't try again, then she will think you're not a real man. And girls are told to basically say no or else he'll think you're a slut. Mm. So we give all these messages and then suddenly when they're in bed they're supposed to communicate clearly. I do consent workshops and people say, oh, can you give me a 10-point plan? What do I have to do? Or a 100-point plan, like The Guardian had a 100-point plan how to not be sexist. And I was like, no, it's but then in Denmark we have a dis different discussion now because we have the discussion about saying yes instead of just saying no. You have that, uh, and, yeah, and, and the Scandinavian countries, Sweden, wow. <laughs> yes, where, where you have to consent. And, and maybe that is something completely different. I heard a young woman discussing that on the radio the other day, and uh, of course the interviewer was sort of against it because that's a way to make her talk, but what she said, it's not a question of proving that somebody said yes, it's a question of proving that it was a consensual situation where you can take it easy and slowly and feel what, you, what the other person feels and try to sort of understand their relationship and where it's also possible to have time to say no or yes. So to make it more open that it sometimes is, for example, when kids are drunk or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I think that's a different discussion. I think there it's, um, in sex education, I absolutely agree. We should teach people yes means yes. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> they want to drown out our voices, but we won't be silent. <laughs> um, but in a court of law, I know this is in England, the police are supposed to implement yes means yes. And what that means de facto is that um, young men, because we have still have this idea men have agency over their sexuality, women have not. So if a young woman is... Um, drunk, the man puts her in a taxi because he, I know you don't want it. So it's the other way around. So we um, safeguard women's sexuality. I have that on, um, my first book was called Vulva, it's a cultural history of the vulva. Um, and um, I participated in a film about the book. So nobody can order that film because if you put vulva in the title of your email, yeah, yeah, um, that's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it goes into the spam filter because that's sexist. So we, at the moment we have this idea of if, if you've got to um, safeguard women from sexuality, for their own good. No, we want to be agents of our own sexuality. We want to be taken seriously. And at the same time, we want to communicate on an eye-to-eye -eye level. And, and um, so there are different forms. In a court of law, I have got a problem with the way it's implemented in England. I hope they're going to do it differently in Sweden. And I'm still trying to find out. Like, nobody yeah. could really tell me how it's going to happen. But I think the problem here is, is one of balance also exactly as it is with the question of gender. It's also a balance of what kinds of situation, yes and no, and so on. Uh, it's very easy to sort of have the kind of discussion where it just says uh, no means no, or yes means yes, and you have to do this. But in, in real life context, it's so, like you say, it's so really, really complicated. So what 
what is also a problem is one that we have a moral approach. What kind of moral approach do we have? The second one is we have a psychological approach, but then we have a legal approach. Uh, and are all these cases interesting in a legal sense or are they not? Uh, and it is a good idea to, to uh, put people in prison because they did something that was not quite clear. So there is a whole lot of work that you have to do about legal practice, which is really, really difficult mm. in this case. But what about then on our human-to-human -human level, the way we talk to our children at home, the yeah. way we talk to uh, kids in school, the way we talk to each other? Yeah. Should we begin to talk about sex in another way? You, you also mention in the book that if we look at ourselves, have we ever not stepped over the borders of another person in sexuality to know our own, to know others? To Should we begin to maybe talk about sex being also difficult, also hurtful, also a lot of things could yeah, be... That's what I said, this is idea of talking about sex as something that's always wonderful and always joyful and always fantastic and that is very, very liberating, which is also a, an approach that we have in Denmark, is a problem. You have to talk about sex as you talk about anything in this life. It's sometimes really good and it's sometimes really bad and there's a lot of it between it and we have to look at it that way and discuss it with the kids. Mm. Um, and I think we should also talk about gender because we, we do gender uh, uh, plays a big part in it. So we, we say, oh, men are aggressive and women are passive. And we've got to break that up as well because we know from loads of psychological tests that people do perform what is expected of them. So if we say, oh, you're a perpetrator, you're a victim, then we will live out those social norms. And we might not get raped, but we will live out those social norms in one way or another. And um, the other thing is I do give consent workshops and people really come to me and say, what do I not do? And I say, let's first find out what do you want to do? Because if we're in contact with ourselves, it's a lot easier to notice signals from somebody else, what they want, what they don't want to, to understand and know. Mm. And that's the other thing. And they, they say, oh, which, which kind of therapy can I, can I undergo to not feel jealous anymore? I say, oh, your body gives you a very clear signal and you want to be so enlightened that you don't feel jealousy anymore. And how do you expect yourself to be able to communicate in a sexual context then if you try to be a different person? So, and that doesn't mean you have to shoot everyone you're jealous of, obviously, but there, there are loads of ways in between, as yeah. we all know. Um, and so, as, if you are in contact with yourself, if you, if you have to think, I've got a right to be in contact with myself, it's a lot easier to communicate, and it's also a lot easier to deal with rejection. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Yeah. Do you agree that it, it's a way through our own bodies and this contact that we should focus more on? But I, I, well, this is a long discussion, but I think, I think that um, this concept of being passive and active in Denmark is actually changing. I don't think... I want to live in Denmark. Can I no, come No, 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 I'm not saying that Denmark is so fantastic. I really don't mean that. But like, for example, when we had this Me Too discussion, then we had uh, some stand-up comedians who were in a newspaper said, well, when I go to town, uh, and I uh, do my job and so on. There are also a lot of women, some of them are drunk, some are not, who touch me all over the place and who make me feel like an object. But, they then said, this is not the same as when a man does this to a woman and has a different meaning. And I think that is probably in many situations true because women are then supposed to be passive, accept, feel honored and so on, while men many of the young men talk about we have to go to town and we have to get some girls and blah, 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 this kind of thing. And I'm not saying either that this is men and women, but I think that this is very, it's, it's a changing thing and it's, and it's different in different contexts and it's really, really difficult to say something completely general about it. Mm. No, but I, I, I was staying at the Great Western Hotel in Svendborg and, and at the male's toilet, um, I, I went to the male's toilet and, and they have these, over the pissoirs, they've got these big, photos of women with measuring tape and, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, uh, and magnifying glasses looking at the men, pretending to look at the men's mm -hmm. penis. And I think this is the kind of, it's supposed to be sexy and funny, yeah. but it's actually, it's such a awful message. Yeah. You have to perform, yeah. you have to always be yeah. big and erect. And, and so, yeah, we, we could maybe change the toilet <laughs> in the Great Western in Hotel. In West, Great Western, <laughs> someone tell them. Uh, here, we have a few minutes left and we've been very critical now towards how we, how we talk about sexual violence. But are you hopeful? Do you see any development in our societies on, on how we uh, 
can we conceive how we talk about these things? I, I, I'm always hopeful because I have to be hopeful. And the other thing, um, then when I do workshops, I first of all tell my students, um, I do it at universities mainly, I say, mainly sex is consensual. Most of the sex you will experience is consensual. And um, that's not the rhetoric. In the 60s, sex was the way to revolution and uh, fucking for world peace and all yeah. this. And now sex is dangerous and can change any minute and it can take something away from you. Mm. And, and one narrative isn't, more, isn't truer than the other, but they do something with the way we feel in the world. And um, yeah, I, I do absolutely believe, um, look at when it goes well, what have you done there? Why did it go well? And we don't, don't look at that, and that's very, very important. The other thing is um, we live in a world where we actually don't really need the military that much, and we do know we, need the we don't need the military that much. We yeah. do know um, uh, the more militarized a society is, the more sexual violence will be in a society. There have been loads of studies on that. So if we want to make a, a political petition, if, so, if you want to sign anything, <laughs> we should basically say, yeah, um, well, give less money to the army, and that is a direct way of changing sexual violence. It's not the only way, obviously, but they, so there are loads of Release. direct implementations if we want to. Yeah. Well, again, I must say, I didn't hear half of what you said, so sorry if I repeat <laughs> it, what you're It's saying. incredible, but, isn't it? But actually, well, I think there's, um, there, is, there is hope at the moment. Because there is, like you said, there is a momentum, the whole Me Too movement, but also there have been other sort of... Uh, feminist and different gender discussions going on and, and young women are doing things, young men are doing a lot of things that some of them didn't, certainly didn't do when I was young. So I think there's a momentum that we have to use really well. But I also think we are up against something that is really, really difficult because this is an, in history, age-long tradition of thinking about women in specific ways uh, and about men in specific ways. So. And, and also, we have, we have a neoliberal society in which bodies are commodified like hell, I think. Uh, and this is part, this gendering and this sexualizing everything and sexual, sexuality all over the place is also a part of that neoliberal um, commodification of bodies. And that, I think, it's really hard to fight against because it's something that also... Um, influences behind our back that we don't notice. And in, I think in Scandinavia, and especially in Denmark, it, it's really a, a, a really big problem. Mm. Okay, let's fight capitalism at the same time. <laughs> I absolutely agree. <laughs> big applause for that one. <laughs> and thank you so much, Mitsu Sanyal, Bodil Pedersen. You have listened to a Heartland podcast. If you like what you just heard, please write us a review on iTunes, or even better, Tell your friends that you heard this. We would really appreciate it. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.